Hey everyone, we wanted to give you a quick heads up. For our very first episode of The Dragon Reread, we did have a few mild spoilers for the first book, The Eye of the World. If this is your first time reading the series and you're concerned about that, please know that starting with episode two, we became much more careful about avoiding spoilers. We would suggest that you start with episode two, which is chapters six through 10 of The Eye of the World. Thanks. Welcome to the Dragon Reread, the podcast where we reread the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. I'm Jeff Lake, uh, and I'm a, a big fantasy reader. I read, first read these books uh, when they were coming out, which was, what, 20, 30 years ago? I was a kid. Uh, and I'm really excited to read them again, uh, to, just to see you know, how they compare for, to my memory, because these, these books meant a lot to me when I was younger. I am joined by... Uh, Micah Sparkman. I, uh, I've also read these books quite a long time ago. I think that they had probably already been out for a little while, because I know I was never waiting for a book to come out at the time, but I think I must have been maybe early in high school when I, when I first read them. Yeah, they were being released for decades. Yeah. What would you do? You know when the first book came out? It says here that the copyright is 1990. 1990. So that would have been when I was eight years old. So I probably wasn't reading them when I was eight years old, but I, I don't know, maybe you know, ten years after that when I was. Yeah. And our, our other co-host. Yeah, I'm I'm Alice Sullivan, and I first read these books in high school. A boyfriend gave them to me, and I am not a huge fantasy reader, so hopefully I can offer a a different perspective from Micah and Jeff here, who I know are big fantasy readers. Yeah, this is, uh, if you're of a certain age, these are, these, these are the cornerstone fantasy series, I felt. They came out before Song of Ice and Fire, which is the big business right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're sort of a, an update of the Tolkien formula, if Tolkien had a formula, but for the 90s, you know. Uh, and I think that when I read them, I thought they were just the, the bee's knees, right? I remember I, I saw the first book in a bookstore, uh, probably a Barnes & Noble, because uh, they had those back then. And they, yeah, I, I saw it, and I was looking at the fantasy section, and it was gigantic, and it, it looked, the cover looked really awesome, and I, I got it, and I read it, and it went on forever, and back then I valued books more highly if they were longer, <laughs> because you know, it was like more value for my reading dollar. Before you have to go back to the bookstore and buy another physical book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Start paying attention in class. Well, the funny thing is, when, while we were talking, I remembered my brother, who's Jeff's age, a little older than me, had actually mentioned these books previously to me and suggested I read them because he said that there were some strong female characters in, in there. He's, <laughs> he's a big fantasy, he was at the time a big fantasy reader himself yeah. so I guess he thought that was something that would maybe be more appealing to me yeah mm-hmm. would you would you say that they have now that you're rereading would you say they have strong female <laughs> we're characters? gonna have a lot of talk about strong <laughs> yeah. female characters. what does it mean to be a strong female character yeah, yeah so uh, the the rough plan for this podcast is we're gonna read a section of the books and then we're gonna talk about it in a podcast for this section we started at the beginning with the eye of the world book one of the wheel of time uh, there are approximately 700 books in the series now. <laughs> we, uh, we worked out the math I think we can actually be running this podcast for what like 43 years, something like that, <laughs> yeah. with, if we do it every week. We need yeah. to get some sponsors. Yeah. If we yeah. live that long. I mean, right. like, I don't know if I'm going to live that long. <laughs> right, and we'll be on our space station floating around in our brain jars <laughs> doing this Wheel of Time podcast. Uh, but we started with chapter one through five, including the pl- prologue. So 
I guess chapter zero through five. Yeah, yeah. and I guess also the cover of the book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Because we are covering this book. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it, and uh, we're we're a lot more enlightened about the way the world works than uh, I was, at least when I was younger. So oh, yeah. I can definitely see a few flaws uh, in this book, and I'm really excited to get into it. Uh, but first, I'll say this is not gonna be. Uh, we're not gonna tear this book up because I I loved it then. I still have a special place in my heart for it now. And having read these first five chapters, I actually enjoyed them. There there's some pretty good stuff in there, and some pretty bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say like speak for yourself. I'm gonna shit all over this. Book. <laughs> no, I mean like these might be great. That, I I really did enjoy the 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 stuff yeah. that I read. It, so it, yeah. first things first, the yeah. most important aspect of any fantasy novel is the cover art. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> completely agree. I was I was actually looking at this and I was trying to figure out who all of these people are supposed to be. Like some of them are more obvious than others, but like some of these people are kind of small. I don't know. I mean, like we we oh, I they're think hobbits, we've... right? Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. Well, I mean, definitely. Uh, what's your name? The Ace Moraine. Of... Moraine is is a hobbit. I mean, look at her. She's like... yeah, yeah, super tiny. Yeah, it's, she could it's be a like good composition, 12. though. You know, she and in the in the story, she's supposed to be small, right? To contrast with her great power, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> Wait, what power? I don't remember. Oh yeah. By the way, spoilers for all the books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if you're reading them along with us, which I'm sure all of our audience is actually reading along with us, <laughs> yeah. uh, there might be some spoilers in here. Just fair warning. <laughs> Yeah, so Alice, you, you, you had mentioned there's something. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, so um, I was doing the same thing as you, trying to figure out who everybody is. And Rand, who as of now is the main character, uh, bears a striking resemblance to Nicolas Cage on the cover. If you look <laughs> at it so there. Does. It really does. Uh, yeah, I, I like this cover art. You know, like I said, when way back when, there's something about this cover art jumped out at me and, and made me pick it up. You know, this the guy, he's like on a horse. He's like cool and badass. He's got two swords because... One sword is not enough for all the ass he's got to kick. That's right. Well, and sword. another thing, too, I was at Half Price Books to pick up a copy because I feel like every time I go to Half Price Books, I notice that there's a shitload of copies of The Wheel of Time there. Um, <laughs> but if you look at the, cover, at the cover art from some of the other series, even though the style seems very similar, you don't see women. Or if you do see women, I think I can't, I wouldn't be able to tell you any names, but when you do see women, you see... They tend to be a little more provocatively dressed, but here, sure. like Moraine oh, is, boob armor. yeah, Moraine is covered. Yeah, she doesn't have her boob armor that would immediately like kill you if it got struck or anything yeah. like that. To tell so the truth. I thought that was kind of yeah. interesting. She's at the front, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the artist captured who we should probably name because uh, this we're talking about his work, his or her work. Wait, what's his name? Uh, that's my my question, <laughs> my implicit question to you who have uh, a copy of the book in front of you. It doesn't. Does it have a cover, uh, art, cover art by Daryl Sweet? Daryl Sweet. Sweet, that's a good name. All right, Daryl, good job. Yeah, yeah. yeah so the the he, I think he captured the characters pretty well. I think Moraine uh, looks like she's in a position of power. You know. Yeah. She's up front that's center. Mm-hmm. She's not even the main character, but she's like the focus of this composition. White horse. Yeah, white horse to stand up against the, the black horse, and those two those two characters are a big part of this story. I have to tell you, I think that there's a big miss on this cover. It, it actually bugs me a lot. So what's that? Like of <clears throat> I can't remember Strider. What's his name? <laughs> Aragorn. 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 Oh, yeah. Olin Mandragoran, last king of Malkir. <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah. So so this guy, this uh, her her companion slash helper guy. Is is he the guy with the the, the invisible cloak? Her warder. Yeah, right. So like, okay, they spend in the book they spend a lot of time talking about this badass like super <laughs> invisible cloak. It's true. And like, you look at this guy on the cover. Where's that cloak? I want to see that cloak. It's an invisible cloak. 
Oh, um, you can't see it. Yeah, okay. he puts it on and it turns the color of his armor. Right? <laughs> Doesn't that defeat the purpose? I thought it was supposed to. Well, I mean, <laughs> right. it's like the invisible the, car. You the cloak is invisible, but you aren't invisible. <laughs> oh, see, that's I, to, I, totally, I totally missed that subtext. No, probably. you're right. What yeah, is it up is. with them in cloaks? Because they talk about the Gleeman's cloak later, and like Rand starts laughing because he's thinking about a cloak made of a bunch of scraps of fabric. They which, talk. They talk about Moraine's cloak too, about how it's like, oh, it's this velveteen material that's nicer than anyone's ever seen. All right, I guess so cloaks are just important. You're right. It's like it's like I actually fun. noticed that in this read through is they they mentioned the cloak of everyone he meets. Yeah. He's thinking, oh, oh. this is my cloak, and I'm cold because my cloak's not working. And then there's Matt, and he's wearing a pretty cool coat, and his cloak looks like this, <laughs> which I thought was a little weird because these are like farm kids, you know, and they're they're just at farm, so yeah. they're all so wearing cloaks. Maybe like cloaks are like the pogs of like. Of his village, you know, it's like it's the it's the the, the, the fad thing right now. It's like so it's a, like a, I like the '90s reference for the '90s book. That's yeah, good. I assume that everyone here is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> so the next most important thing, yeah, after the cover, is the actual text of the book. Yeah. Sure, sure. But we also have some quotes we wanted to talk about too. Right? Oh, that's oh, right. Before we actually get to this, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's the text of the book. Okay, that's that's you're right. That's the next most important thing is which which uh, other authors they got to blurb this book. Yeah, yeah. it's on page one, so I mean, like, yeah, exactly. So they have this. They have a partial quote from Pierce. Anthony, and then it continues in a more extended quote on the inside of the book. But I just want to read a little bit of it here. So Piers Anthony obviously is really raving about this book when he says, this looks very like the next major fantasy epic. And then it says, Robert Jordan, dot, 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 is a lot of writer. Okay, so so whenever I see a dot, dot, dot like that, what that means is there's something else in between there, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Robert so what Jordan is someone out? that no one would say about them. <laughs> Or like Robert Jordan, man, I don't know about that guy. Like I feel like maybe he's got a drinking problem. And when you're reading his work, you can really it really comes through. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Robert Jordan has a lot of writerly problems. (laughs) Robert Jordan, who weighs 400 pounds, is a lot of writer. (laughs) If we use the term writer loosely, just calling something like he's throwing shade. Yeah, I I always wonder when they put those little ellipses in there what they're what they're hiding. Yeah, they've got to be hiding something. Probably. No, I mean you guys know how these blurbs actually work, right? There's the publisher who puts this book out wants a blurb, and so they go to the other authors that are in their stable that they publish and say, oh. blurb this book. Oh. And they, they may or may not actually read it. That mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. And they, they pay them, you know. And then, okay, so there's that quote, and then the other quote, the one other quote I wanted to do was from the Chicago Sun-Times, which is right inside the cover, which says, Jordan, in Eye of the World, has produced a major piece of fantasy. He has not merely put old wine into new bottles. He has clothed old bones with new flesh. And since you guys have more experience with um, the genre of fantasy, I was curious what you thought about about that quote. That is just about the nicest way you can think of saying this is a total ripoff of Lord of the Rings. Okay. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, I, I mean, like they're saying that he spruced it up a little bit, like he changed the names. Yeah, I, a total ripoff is a little strong. Okay. I, it's the same basic story, you know, and the, the characters are almost one for one. But mm-hmm. I think he really took a different spin on it. Mm-hmm. This is kind of actually like a, a theme that I want to talk about because I the way the best way to understand these books, are I think Tolkien wrote his story, and Tolkien was a veteran of World War One. And so you can definitely see a lot of World War One era tropes and worldviews in Lord of the Rings. And uh, Robert Jordan wrote basically the same story, but he's a veteran of Vietnam. Interesting. I didn't know he was a vet. Yeah. And so that would definitely change like the flavor or the perception, I guess. Because like right. so on you, one, you have like 
a great war and not one you have like a generally hated war, right? And I, I think that's right there in the prologue uh, to move this podcast along is that sure. you would never see, unless there's more you want to talk no, about. No, 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 I'm done. Yeah, you would never see in a Tolkien book uh, something like a guy blowing up a city by himself because that, that concept is not something that would occur to Tolkien. To Tolkien, war, which he wrote about, was this grand struggle of masses of faceless enemies like a, the forces of the, the varied forces of good guys versus the dastardly forces of darkness. That's yeah. a good point. And the forces of industrialization, right? Uh, but in the like the first thing that happens in in the Robert Jordan's book, and Robert Jordan, of course, was the, a person who fought a war during the Cold War, was a guy nukes himself, right? A guy mm-hmm. basically nukes himself. Yeah, drop, drops the nuke on his on his family and yeah. his city, and yeah. And there's actually a quote that I wrote down uh, when uh, Matt was or. Rand was talking to Tom, Marilyn, right? And he asked him, like, for war. There's war going on, right? And Tom says, in wars, boy, fools kill other fools for foolish reasons. That's something a Vietnam vet would say. That's not something a World War I vet would no, say. No, I think you're totally right. That's a, that's a really... Uh, so it's kind of like a, a different spin from a different era on the same story. That's yeah. good, yeah. So we should keep an eye on that as we, as we progress in the story, like how, they, how war is perceived and how, how people feel about the idea. Cause right, it, yeah. It seems like there's definitely, like, a... Uh, an idea of, of war being like this hellish thing where people are, yeah, where people throw their lives away for possibly no reason. Yeah, you, can you can you think of a time when Tolkien said that about war, like, and then no. the, where where he even had like a character that wasn't a noble or a wizard or something who was on the top of the food chain of the military. Yeah, it, yeah, but Robert Jordan is full of these like soldiers saying war sucks. You know, I went to war when I was a kid and it was awful. Yeah, and Tolkien. Yeah, that's really interesting, and that also makes me curious too. As we go along, something I'm going to start looking at is the role of nature in it as well because mm, yeah. Vietnam you know we had this jungle war and I was immediately thinking about Rand going and fighting excuse me going and hiding in the in the woods behind the house when there's the mm-hmm. the initial fight going on with the Trollocs but I'm getting yeah. ahead of myself here yeah. yeah so in the prologue what happens is uh, a guy we meet a guy uh, who is like a pretty guy in a big fantasy castle uh, who is Luz Theron Telamon uh, we don't know anything about him yet, but he's wandering around crazy. Everybody around him is dead. There's been some horrible catastrophe, right? The, the floor is warped and bubbled, bubbled and flowed, and there's scorch marks everywhere. Uh, and then another dude shows up who dresses us all in black and starts taunting him. Uh, and apparently these guys are old antagonists, and the guy dressed all in black is probably the bad guy. Uh, but the other dude is crazy, and so the, the guy dressed all in black basically cures him and shows him all the things that he's done. Apparently he's killed all these people in his madness. Uh, and, he, and he freaks out and nukes himself. Like, he draws the one power upon himself, and the, uh, a flash that sears every eye that would see it, like, creates a huge hole in the ground and creates a huge mountain. Uh, and that's the, that's the, the lead-in. Yeah, do you think the bad guy went there with the, the intention of making him kill himself, or do you think that when the, he nuked himself, he was like, oh shit, and then it was like... He yeah. went there to gloat. Yeah. He went there to say, there, I've, I've beaten you, now you're crazy, and your world is all screwed up. Uh, and... And then, but the guy was crazy, so he didn't realize how beaten he was, so he wasn't able to gloat. And then he healed him, and then he just like blew himself up. I don't think he knew he was going to blow himself up, except he says, "This has all happened a million times before, and it's going to happen a million times after this. It always happens this way." So we're, we're, we're so th- probably he knew. So Billy Zane slash Kermit the Frog, the forsaken. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you have to give the dark one your voice. You uh, know, that's right. That's true. <laughs> it's also interesting because I feel like. In Lord of the Rings, you have a certain amount of like Jesus imagery and mm, and yeah. biblical stuff going on. I don't feel like that's in here, but except you bring up that the that this 
forsaken is Ishmael, which is of course a biblical reference. So that's interesting there. And that's that's and the 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 big bad guy is uh, Shaitan, which is obviously like. Uh, Dude, I, don't say it. Oh, sorry. So, shit, I named the dark one. Yeah, I was supposed to name him. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, they, they cursed call, everybody who listened to this. Yeah, song. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> he who must not be named, Voldemort. <laughs> is, uh, it, well, the big bad. Uh, I think I, I even think this is a a name for Satan in, uh, in Arabic. Arabic, yeah. yeah. So it's like it's also kind of like a biblical link. Uh, yeah. So that's that's basically what happens in the prologue. There's not much to it. But is there anything else you guys want to talk about? No, there's not a whole lot there. Yeah, yeah it's all prologue. We're, we're it's just, all foreshadowing, and you don't really know what's going on at all yeah. until you've read a lot more of this book. You yeah. know, I do. I, I have to say though, I really, really love um, the quotes that they have from the different like ancient books. I guess it is from the different ages that they have yeah. that they end the prologue with. I think those are really beautifully written. Uh, yeah, they are very nice. I, I think that's something that Robert Jordan does really great, kind of throughout the series, as he creates this sort of. A faux history, mm-hmm. uh, which Tolkien did too, but it did not a whole lot of it actually in like percolated into the Lord of the Rings book itself. A lot of it was left in the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. Silmarillion. 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 Yeah, uh, but in Robert Jordan, you get clips from text, you get songs, you get stories, mm-hmm. and he does a good. And the stories aren't even all the same. Uh, they don't. They're not all telling the same version of history. It's sort of this this idea that every there's a bunch of different perspectives, and and the, the truth is something else entirely. And all these people are sort of living with this weight of history, but they don't even really understand it. Uh, which is, I think, a really uh, modern way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. And he captures that. That's A lot of fantasy novels are kind of seeking after this uh, faux historical thing that Tolkien did. Uh, but Robert Jordan was going for a different thing, and that's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think. Yeah. Uh, Right, so you guys want to move on? Yeah. yeah. Is, is there any, I mean, do we need to talk about this map, or should we skip the map? Uh, the map looks like something I would have drawn in one of my notebooks. It no, is, that's, that's mean. It's, it's, a, it's a very busy map, is all. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, it, you know, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, uh, and it's, it's a, as in all fantasy novels, as is tradition, it's Europe. Yeah. Right? Yeah, obviously. Oh, yeah. it totally is. <laughs> yeah. And there's, you know, there's the, <clears throat> the ale waste full of barbarians to the east, you know, oh. which are... In the real life, that's those are the steps, you know. Instead of the ale, it's the step people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's the, all of the nations in the in the world seem to correspond pretty much to nations of Europe. I think Camelin is part of Andor, right? Camelin is the city. Andor is is basically England, where unlike Europe, it's right in the middle. Uh, I think it's England. Do you think it's more like France? I don't know. Hard to say. But Terror is definitely Spain. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember. It's well, been a while. we'll have to keep oh, yeah. that in mind as we go through. Yeah, yeah I remember this stuff. Yeah, uh, right. Okay, so then, uh, so those are the maps. The maps are pretty. Oh, your maps are different from mine. Oh, do I have better oh, maps? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Are our maps superior? I, I totally this. Well, I'm still using the the book that I read originally because I still have it. Wow. Show off. Yeah. So. So these are. This is why I was dissing the maps. Oh, actually, yeah, uh, we yeah. have that one. Well, yeah, but if you look, his is a lot simpler. Ours is a lot uh, oh, linear. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. missing. And this is the. That's what I noticed. That's the two rivers that I've got. Oh, uh, ours is yeah. Ours, ours has is way way more going well, on. Well, I mean, they're the same map. Ours has more texture, I would say. Yeah. So yours is line drawing. Ours has like you know flavor. I wonder if Robert Jordan drew these himself. Maybe. Does yeah. it say? Uh, not that I can maps see. Maps by Robert Jordan. Right. <laughs> written in crayon at the bottom yeah. I personally am a big fan of books that have maps in them I also like books that have genealogies in them yeah because I, like, I, like I said I really like books that give you something to bite into something deep mm-hmm. uh, I, when, I, when I first read these books I, felt, I think I remember I frequently referred back to the maps because I like you know we aren't 
to where they started traveling it. But once they started traveling, I wanted to know where they were going. And when they were referencing stuff, I would, okay, even this read through, I would occasionally flip back and look, okay, hey, there's a, uh, you know, Terrence Ford or whatever. Right, yeah, Terran Ferry. Terran Ferry. <laughs> Those yeah. Terran Ferry folk. Yeah. Uh, right, so the, then we launch right into chapter one, yeah. uh, which is called An Empty Road. In my version, at least. Yeah. Uh, and there's that, that famous intro that starts all the books, which is the a wind rose somewhere, and the, the wind was not the beginning. There are no beginnings in the turnings of the Wheel of Time. Uh, and uh, something else. What, but yeah, it was a beginning. But it was a beginning. Which is right? a pretty boss way to end a paragraph, first paragraph. Yeah. So this, this is his theme, is that things are, this is cyclical. These things are always happening over and over again. Mm-hmm. There is no beginning. There is no end. But yeah, this is yeah, sort of a beginning. Yeah, but it was a beginning. Yeah. yeah. Drawing a distinction. Right. Yeah. And uh, when I was younger, I thought that was the coolest thing. I still think that's the coolest thing. Here he starts every book that same way. Yeah. Uh, the, is that, how does it go? The Wheel of Time turns. Do you want me to read it? Because I have it right here. Yes. Yeah. Please read. <clears throat> the Wheel of Time turns, and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave, gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the Third Age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose in the mountains of mist. The wind was not the beginning. There was neither beginning nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time, but it was a beginning. Mm. Yeah, so that's sick. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I like it. That's a, that's a pretty solid start. I wonder how long he, he spent just writing that opening paragraph. I feel like well, that was something important to him. Well, he ended up writing it over and over several times with all yeah. these books. <laughs> I believe that, that's a good point. And then yeah. we get some good geography going on there too, which is nice to have it juxtaposed. Right, I mean, literally. Opposite of the map. Yeah, to set the, set the scene in this kind of bucolic town that the whole first part of the book takes place in, uh, Iman's Field. Uh, yeah, so the, yeah, the wind, uh, there are neither beginnings nor endings, but there's a wind. And the wind comes and it, and it blows on Randall Thor and his father going down the quarry road from their farm in the Westwood to Iman's Field. Uh, and they're, they're, it's really cold and it talks about how the, the weather has been awful this year because winter isn't ending. Uh, and uh, it's really hard on these farmer types. And then Rand uh, spies behind them a, a mysterious rider in black who's super duper creepy. Uh, but then he fumbles for his bow because that's what you do when you see a rider yeah. on your way to Emmons Field. <laughs> he just like blasts him with an arrow. <laughs> shoot first, ask questions later. Yeah. First thing we do, shoot him with an arrow, then go check on him. Right, then go check on him. Go take hey, right. uh, but no, something creeps him out. But then when he looks back, the rider is gone. And he tells his dad about it, Tam Althor. Uh, or is it Tom? What do you guys think? I Tam. said Tam, man. Yeah. yeah, Tam Althor. Tom's full of an uh, But he doesn't see him, right? And mm-hmm. so he says, ah, you're just crazy, kid. Yeah. Uh, and the, the Robert Jordan goes on a bit talking about how two river folk are these sturdy, stubborn, old-fashioned people uh, who, don't, uh, who don't jump easily and uh, who, who are, work the land and have a difficult life and they're real salt-of-the-earth folk. So this is like the, the Kansas of, of, it's not Middle Earth. Or right? Hobbits. Oh, yeah, I mean, they're kind of hobbits, except they're like hard workers. Yeah, hobbits seem more lazy. Well, that's just Frodo, right? Because Frodo's like a lazy noble. Well, no, I think all the hobbits, they, they mention, when they describe hobbits, they talk a lot about how they spend a lot of time sleeping and eating. So, I mean, I don't think it's just Frodo. Mm, yeah. Slash Bilbo. But we still have just like these very simple folk. In, yeah, in a lot right. of ways. They're, they're farm folk. Yeah, uh, definitely romanticized, I would say. So they're heading to uh, to Emmons Field because it's the it's a festival night. It's they call Beltine. it Winter Night, and the next day is Beltine. 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 I think that's sort of some kind of Gaelic or Irish thing. But yeah, I don't know. we need to start like coming up with a pronunciation guide. No, this is yeah. part of the part of the okay. value that we okay. have. This yeah, discussion. We're, we're, nice. yeah. So people who read this now they know how it's supposed to sound in their heads. <laughs> right, yeah. Beltine. Uh, yes. 
so that he gets there, he meets his old friend Matt, who is one of the three primary bros of the series. Wait, uh, so he's like Mary, right? <clears throat> Uh, I guess he's a combination of Mary and, and Pippin. Oh, it's, so it's like a two for no, one deal. No, because Perrin's Pippin. But he's not. He's not he, like. He's not actually like. He's not like Mary. Pippin. You know? Yeah, he's more like. He's not even like. He's like a different. But thing, it's a I little think. on the nose, Perrin Pippin. But, I mean, come on. Yeah, I didn't yeah. think of that. You're right. Yeah. But on the other hand, like because hobbits are so small, and you stack Mary and Pippin on top of each other, that's roughly one Matt. Yeah, probably that's that makes sense. Like additive yeah. property. Yeah, yeah. So he meets up with Matt, and Matt saw the Black Rider too. But of course, nobody believes Matt because apparently Matt is a huge liar, and no one believes anything he says. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like he's like he's like a problem, man. You know, yeah. he definitely becomes my least favorite character later on. Really? As I, yeah, I don't know about this series, but uh, me and my nerdy friends that read these books, he was our favorite. I don't honestly. Like, All right, yeah, I was forward to arguing about this. Because he was. Well, we'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have lots of opportunities to argue yeah. about whether Matt's a dick or I not. I think, speaking as a 37-year-old man, I think that dude, I would probably not find him nearly as amusing as I did back then. Right now, he does come across as a little bit of a dick. Like yeah. He's like, oh, I'm going to release a badger and go chase... Like, aren't badgers dangerous? <laughs> like, somebody could get hurt. <laughs> and that poor badger, too. <laughs> well, oh their God. lives are short, right? They, they die of, of tooth decay at 30 or something in this town, probably. So that could... <laughs> The badgers or people? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know how long badgers live. <laughs> <laughs> well, they die of the 30 tooth decay. <laughs> Because you can't brush their teeth because they're so they're so rude. Yeah. <laughs> you ever try and brush a badger's teeth? Trust me, yeah. <laughs> it's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, he talks about. I remember thinking like his his pranks were kind of funny, right? He, he talks about how, you know, I told these kids that there was a, a hellhound loose or whatever you call it, a ghost hound. Yeah. yeah and then I hound. then I put flour on the the blacksmith dogs and I was going to release them, but then the dogs ran back to the blacksmith's house and got flour all over everything. And I remember thinking, that's kind of funny. And now I think, you little shit. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, Matt does strike me as a bit of a dick. And, you know, like, I get why people are, are pissed off about him. But, you know, I mean, like, did, would would Rand really be friends with a guy like that? I mean, he seems like a really honorable kind of dude. How many I, kids his age are there? In that's what I was going to say, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. I think you're just kind of stuck with friends. It's like when you go to a really small school. You yeah. Know, it's you like, have to you, know everybody. You say friends in quotes, but really it's like the only other two people who are yeah, this, approximately this guy I knew, you know. Yeah. This guy was in my church group. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but they're they're like exactly the same age, which becomes important. They're born within days of each other. Spoilers. Rand, Matt, and Perrin. Mm-hmm. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> should we say spoilers every time? We, uh, maybe yeah. we should just like. I think it just gets funnier and funnier. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Matt's fr- that's his friend, uh, and Ra- Ra- Matt tells him that a Glee man is in town, or a Gleeman, whatever you say, a Glee man. A Glee man who's some kind of really entertaining thing that they're really excited about, uh, and Matt makes fun of Rand for having a crush on Igwayne. Uh, what do you guys think about that name? I think it was Edgeween. Eggween. Really? <laughs> I thought it was Edge. <laughs> Eggween? Wow. Edgeween. God damn it, Robert Jordan. Now, now that I'm saying it out loud, Edgeween sounds there's like... There's a glossary, but they... Oh, wait, wait, wait. In the back in the glossary, they have... They have a pronunciation guide. Really? What? Yeah, so it's Beltine. I'll leave it to the PhD to read the glossary. Yeah. <laughs> wait, there's a, oh, there is a glossary. Beltine. Wow. Wait, wait, wait. Let me see if they have... If they have Names? They have, let's see, Elena, Elaine, Elsie. They don't have Egg, Eggween, Eggwayne. Wow, is it, does she stop being an important character soon or something? Uh, they didn't even put her in the no. house. Do you want oh, a spoiler? And they don't, no. And they don't the have spoiler the, is she never goes away. <laughs> <laughs> they have Moiraine, with emphasis on the rain part. Moiraine. Moiraine. But they don't have what I think is the most inscrutable name in the entire series, which is 
Nineve. Nineve. Who in my head Nineveh. I called Nineve for a really Nineveh. long time Nineveh. until somebody corrected me. I said Nineve, Nineve, something like that. Yeah. yeah. I think I said Nineve, but I, I'm not certain. Yeah. It's an unusual name for sure. But uh, I'm sure we'll settle on something. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Maybe so, we can like write our own in there. So this is a pretty strong intro, I think, to the to the series because it's you know it, it you get the impression that these guys are farm people that they are not super exposed to the world. Uh, you know, there's Rand, and Rand's father is really solid, uh, and Rand's friend Matt is a doofus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're really, like, the most exciting thing in the world to them is going to town and seeing, like, a traveling minstrel. Yeah. And I have to say, one of the things that I like about the series that made me hang in there for so long, unlike when I've tried to read other fantasy series, is that I don't feel like Robert Jordan gets excessive with the description, which mm. I really appreciate, because, like, I tried to do a Song of Ice and Fire when you, <laughs> you know, when you first introduced me to them, and I like the plot, but just the 20 pages of descriptions of feasts and dudes boners and the landscape and stuff like that, it just gets exhausting that, after a while. I think the descriptions of dudes boners have been... Inflated. Yes, I know, but I wanted to. (laughs) But I and I just I just need to make fun of one. I think the most there's one sentence that really stuck out for me here, though, in the initial description when they're trying to like settle. There's like a lot of foreshadowing going on, and it's really creepy. And they're heading to the village, and they're about to see Rand's about to see the bad guy. That we have. It was an awkward morning made for unpleasant thoughts. Which to mm. me is a very awkward sentence. <laughs> so that just kind of stuck yeah. out. It <laughs> was an awkward authorly. morning. Like, yeah. what is an awkward morning? Like, yeah. what does that mean? Like, I'm not like sure. you wake up and you accidentally like see your dad's <laughs> junk or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, oh, hey. Yeah. I mean, I assume that happens from time to time because they live in that small house together. Yeah, they and do. He's like, <laughs> uh, they have so, the secrets. Yeah. They all Thor farm. Yeah. <laughs> so then, what, I mean, if not that, yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, I think just trying to—he's trying to create a, a mood of uncertainty. Yeah, yeah, an un- uneasiness. Yeah, I get which, what he was doing. There. Yeah, yeah, which I, I think he, he achieved that by the, the description of the weather and talking about how this, how hard this weather is for the farms and how worried they are about mm-hmm. it. Uh, he maybe didn't need to put that point on it. Uh, so the next chapter is Strangers, Chapter Two, uh, and this is. Uh, they, this is when they meet, I've got in my notes here, this is when they meet Moraine and Lan, uh, also known as Gandalf and Aragorn. Right. Uh, but, uh, Lady Gandalf. Really? Let's, do you let's... think Moraine is supposed to be Gandalf? <laughs> I mean... I mean, they, they do magic, but... Yeah, and she's also, and like, she, ancient, she comes but to young. the town, and she knows all the secrets, and she's the one that, that gives them their quest... Okay, I would, I, I would not, I would, not, don't I don't so? see as clear a parallel as I do with Aragorn slash Lan, which is very obvious. To Air, me. No, we should come with an Aragorn. Aragorn. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what's his? What's Lan's full name again? Uh, All Land Mandragoran, the last king of Malkir. There you the go. The Lord of the Seven Towers. Yeah. No, I don't really see Spoilers. that with Lan. <laughs> I guess part of it because Gandalf had such a long history with the with the. Hobbits and the oh, people. Oh, yeah. Um, he was a familiar face, of, that's true. Yeah, of Hobbiton. So it's not the same thing to me. And also, Gandalf always feels kind of almost a fatherly character, I feel like, to the oh, Hobbits, who are yeah. the simple folks. And Moraine shows up, and she's just so obviously an outsider the entire time. And when I first read it, I mean, I was definitely wondering to myself, like, what are these women's intentions? Like, I didn't know if it was going to be nefarious or not. Mm, interesting, yeah. yeah. I think it's definitely nefarious. Where Gandalf feels very benevolent to yeah. me. Definitely the way they react to her is like, we're a girl, you yeah. know? Oh. <laughs> but also, like, she's a... fancy a, girl. <laughs> yeah, she's a lady. I don't know how to talk to her, yeah. <laughs> you know? Which I, I mean, that kind of makes sense, right? I, yeah. I assume if there was like a fancy lord that showed up, they would they would 
act the same way, maybe? No, I mean, there's definitely, like, a little bit of a, a thing going there where they're like, oh, pretty, you know, oh, I don't know. Uh, you want to come over to my house and have, like, apple tarts or whatever with my family? <laughs> <laughs> that was, like... Talk about like a cringe worthy well, sentence. You know, I felt so bad for that Emma's kid. Field, that's a game. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best material. That's a, that's a good point. They were like, oh man, which my parents made apple tarts or whatever. <laughs> apple cakes, I don't remember. That's they were. all it takes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. So anyway, in this chapter, uh, Moraine and Land show up and they are like, they're fancy, right? These are really fancy people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, fancy like no one in this town has ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and there's, in this chapter, of the, I. This chapter reminded me of why I like these series in the first place, because there's that scene with the raven, right, where it's standing on the roof, Mm -hmm. and they throw a rock at it, they both throw rocks at it, and it just sort of sidesteps and keeps watching them like a a person, and it's super creepy. creepy. That is super creepy, Did you notice that, like, and then Moraine says, man, ravens suck, like, from off screen, but, you know, written better, and then the raven freaks out and flies away. I assume she did some kind of magic. Like, as soon as Moraine shows up, the raven freaks out. So it's sort of this this cool bit of foreshadowing that, that Moraine is a big deal. Yeah, like, the raven's like, oh, shit. Uh, that's you know that's trouble. yeah. Like it's not afraid of throwing you throwing rocks at it, which a bird normally would be, but it's afraid of this person. It's yeah. interesting too. That's very European uh, myth- mythology with the ravens being mm-hmm. uh, omens. The, yeah, uh, yeah, the omens. The yeah, guys. Yeah. Robert Jordan definitely mixed in a whole bunch of different types of mythology. But he's 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 American, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. His real name, I think, is James Oliver Rigney the third. I think. Which sounds very British to me. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think he's American. Wait, did Robert Jordan is not. Did, did I know that? That he's not, that's not his real name. No. Oh wow, I had yes. no idea. James Oliver Rigney. Yeah. Right. Huh. Yeah. That's a very fancy name. <laughs> it is. That sounds like a fantasy author name. You know? <laughs> yeah, no. Robert Jordan sounds like he writes. I don't know. Sports stats or something. <laughs> sports stats. Yeah. My sports stats novels. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the basically what happens in this chapter is Moraine and Land show up and they they wow everybody with how cool they are. Moraine is a. Uh, uh, this this fancy woman dressed fancier than anyone's ever seen, and she's got this this. At, at first, she seems very youthful, but then they realize she's got this ageless appearance, which becomes important uh, because they can't really tell. They can't really. They can never tell what Moraine is thinking, and that also becomes a sign later on of something more important. But also, Lan uh, is like the ultimate warrior, right? The coolest cool that ever cooled. Yeah. And he has a color changing cloak that is like a like the Predator, you know, <laughs> which nobody seems to remark that like. That's super magical, right? That's, <laughs> that is not normal at all. That this cloak keeps changing colors. Yeah, it just seems like a like a, a side factor. Oh, hey, that's weird. This cloak is yeah. always like the color seems to fade into the background. Hey, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's I a really nice that. cloak. I wish. I, I guess everybody's got those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's, you know, he moves like a like a prowling wolf, and he gives them a look, and they're like, I've never been looked at like that before with his icy blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh yeah, and the inn, like they, this is where you get a good look at this inn. Uh, and this inn is like I, I remember thinking this is a fantasy archetype this is like the inn in a world of Warcraft where you go to get your quest like it's it's gigantic and it, it's got like pipe they sit there and they smoke their pipes in front of the fire and he's got ale and uh, it's like every generic archetype uh, yeah. and it, the inn is owned by the mayor of the town uh, Bran Alvir uh, and he's he brews his own ale and, and he's got this yeah, the, the inn is built around a tree, apparently, and it's got this giant foundation that shows that there was something something there before. Yeah, it's bigger than the inn itself. It's like it goes out, out the back. There's a, a bit more of it or something. It's, they say they set up there in the summer. Yeah, and he actually winter. said that the, the, the upper floor is bigger than the lower floor. It's built that way. Yeah. Interesting. Which I, I don't, maybe that's something they do in Europe or they used to do. Yeah. It seems that's, that was hard for me to picture. Yeah. 
Do you want to do? Can we talk about the end a little bit? Yeah, like, you want to? Yeah, I think this this is this is. I had trouble with this, right? Because <laughs> they're describing this thing. It has like I think they said it has a dozen a dozen chimneys. Like a it's, dozen? It, yes, I believe it has twelve no, chimneys. I know that they said inside the the great fireplace took up like half of one wall of the giant room. It's like this huge fireplace. So this inn is enormous. Like it, it and it's made of this you know this fancy stone. It has two stablemen. Who you and Tad were? That's Hugh? right. Who Tad? Whatever. Who? Who? <laughs> <laughs> Who's on first? Yeah. Uh, so it has like two stablemen and this enormous inn, and it's run by this guy Bran Alvier, who's just a, like just huge rotund, rotund guy. And it's like, okay, how big is this town? I mean, they say at several points that they almost never get outsiders, except for like the occasional peddler who come to this Two Rivers area. Yeah. So how are they supporting this giant inn with this giant dude in I don't know, because that's backed up, too, because, like, they're very suspicious of any outsiders, so yeah, I don't it's not feel, like, they get, like, who's staying there? Yeah, there's not tourists, right? So this, yeah. So how is this inn supporting itself? Well, apparently all the people in the town hang out at the inn. That's right? true. Sure, the, but... The village council. Yeah. Uh, and we should talk about the village council versus the women's circle. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, The village council, like, they all go there and help themselves to the to tobacco. They're not paying, stuff. right? I mean, like, did they anyone, must, did anyone they change currency? Maybe, maybe Brad Alvear just taxes them all because he's the I, I, mayor. He is the mayor, right? <laughs> like, so so this this is this is what I'm thinking. Like, this is kind of sinister, right? You have this, like, this guy who owns the town who has this giant inn that seems to not, I mean, doesn't seem to be bringing in any money. So, like, where is this coming from? Like, it, like, are we talking, like, organized crime here? Are we talking, like... Well, they, they, they do bring in... The town brings in money because the, the merchants come and buy their wool and their tobacco. And they're... Uh, but, like, once a year, right? I mean, like... No, the peddler comes once a year. But the, the they said the merchants come... Like that many merchants come, and they come all at once. Yeah. In the summer season. But so that's, you, like, the entirety so, of their... So they have money, yeah. right? The, the town has money. But even then, if you go back and you look at the maps, like, it's not like it's strategically placed in an area where you think you'd have, like, a whole lot of people coming through with trading. I mean, it's right. It's bordered by the Mountains of Mist. Yeah, it's a back one side, so, yeah. Almost literally. Where are, why well, why are they is, here? Where are all these people coming from? This is from? a spoiler. Uh, but they, they mention once they get out there that they have the best tobacco in the world. So it's kind of like Virginia, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and, and yet, Brandon's somehow like the best fed guy in or town. Or once again, Hobbiton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Apparently Hobbiton. in fantasy, you are always going to have tobacco peddlers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's lining his fantasy pockets, clearly, because like, that guy's like super well fed, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the one unifying theme of all fantasy novels is nicotine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, yeah the, so they, they, they basically export their tobacco, right? What they are is a, a, like a... Not a plantation. They're like a, a farming community, an agricultural community that exports tobacco and wool. And this guy somehow takes a cut of it, right? Right. I mean, <laughs> a pretty large cut. Yeah, because he doesn't farm, right? No. His, his wife is apparently the best cook in the world or something. Yeah. He's, he's the mayor slash innkeeper for this inn that doesn't actually have any guests. <laughs> if this yeah. was like the real world, I would think he had like gotten a huge grant from Homeland Security to like, you know, <laughs> buy a bunch of shit and, you know, slash the community center, which exactly, is totally yeah. just his inn. Yeah. And from his, his cousin, who's a congressman. Yeah. <laughs> I think that Bren, okay, hear me out here. I think that Bren is actually a cannibal. <laughs> Okay. Because, okay, okay, okay. Right. seems like a leap. <clears throat> no, no. He's the best fed guy in town, right? Okay. And then, and meanwhile, they have, they have all these people disappearing. They claim it's from wolves, whatever, but it's like, 
Where are they really going? Also, do they, do they talk about people disappearing? Yeah, they're saying that wolves are a problem now, quote unquote. You know, they, <laughs> that, oh yeah, the wolves are coming in. They might, they may even eat a man every now and then. But really, I mean, like, is it really wolves? We, don't, I don't see any wolves in the yeah. in the course of the story. Two-legged wolves. <laughs> but what I do see is this giant innkeeper who seems to be eating, you know, just okay. fine despite not actually bringing any so money. I believe we've established that the innkeeper and mayor of Emmonsfield is a cannibal. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. I'm yeah. Glad no, I don't. And he's and he's blaming it on. It because they make specifically the point that his his ta- his apron is always clean and cannibals are slovenly. Mm. Uh, uh, really? Yeah. When you when you let the rules of society go by the wayside, the first ones are hygiene. <laughs> okay. So, so the clean apron. Uh, yeah. I, I I suppose if you were like if you were murdering and eating people, then there'd be some like some people parts on his apron. And right? these people would know. They know everybody, right? They know. Well, they think they know, but I mean, this is not the. <laughs> no, they know. Like they literally know everybody. Like, like they, they never see somebody they don't know. Small towns have the darkest secrets. It'd be from. like 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 John Copland went missing, you know. And then Bran Alvear got a new like set of stakes or something. They would notice. <laughs> oh, so speaking of that, let's talk about that. The Coplins and the Congers, I think. Yeah, it the Congers. Like, yeah, which, yeah. Um, which seems to be the family that everyone dumps on. In yeah, everybody dumps on, and they talk about they make references to them like interbreeding so much that nobody knows who's who. So <laughs> yeah. like just the ran- random hatred for these families. <sighs> that does sound like a cannibal family, <laughs> right? I'm tell- so, like, so I'm telling you, there's some stuff going on here. I, I, if, at the very least, they've got like this caste system going on that is not yeah that is they, not they, appropriate. they make yeah. multiple references to like oh you know as, as you know as dumb as a copland or oh I might be a copland if I do this thing you know it's like well this in the book it is established that those people really are shifty liars and lazy like they the actually are. in the congress the entire yeah. just everybody all of them all the ones that show up in the book <sighs> They they really like who's the guy that 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 shows up and like says a bunch of nasty things? Senate scene or something? No, not Sen Bui. He's the Thatcher. It's oh. the other guy, uh, somebody Copland. He's the old Copland who's on the village council. Right? Yeah, yeah, I don't. Remember. Yeah, who Nene gets bitchy with later? Yeah, and and but he shows up and he says nasty things, uh, and he's mean. Yeah. So and I, he, oh yeah, he's the guy and. Uh, his, his roof is not thatched well. That is the sign in Emmons Field that mm-hmm. you are a bad person. Mm-hmm. You are a bad man. Is that your roof? Your thatching on your roof is is mm-hmm. out of out of date, out of repair, whatever. So so we're and not. Then, and he's like scared of his wife. His like his wife is really mean, and he's like I can't go back to my house Daisy unless. Conger, I, yeah. Oh yeah, they said he's, he's nearly as broad as the blacksmith with, with Conger. That's yeah, it. without a yeah with without an ounce of fat on her. So she's just like a linebacker, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Big lady, you know. Yeah. Even yeah. though, as much as we want to shit on them, nobody gets it as bad as the Terran fairy people. Yeah, like seriously, <laughs> what is the deal? With yeah, because at Terran first fairies? I was like, ha ha ha, you know, people. it's like a it's like a you know a Longhorns versus Aggies. You just kind of these are the people you dump on for fun. But yeah. like, there's one point when Senbui says, "I won't hide my head under a basket till a Terran fairy man comes to cut my throat." Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not just like that's just like, one of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that this is. Robert Jordan's perspective, like his another element of his modern perspective on humanity, which is that you everybody just hates the people over the hill that they don't meet. You know, there's everybody's tribal. Everybody thinks like our tribe is good, and this other tribe, like the, the only reason they hate the Terran Ferry people is because they know about them, but they never talk to them because mm-hmm. the Terran Ferry people are two towns away. Mm-hmm. Like the next town is Watch Hill, and they're like, well, we're okay with the Watch Hill people, but those Terran Ferry people, they're scum. So do we ever meet so the think, Terran think, Ferry people? Oh yeah, because they pass through Terran Ferry. I, think. I, I figure because they're going north, and Terran Ferry's to the north. And remember, uh, spoilers again, that when they get to Terran Ferry, they're like, oh, you're those Eamon Field people. You guys are all lying scum. Hmm. So it's really what he's saying is, what Jordan is saying is just that 
we mistrust the people that we don't know. Like, mm-hmm. we're all clannish and tribal because we're all small-minded. And maybe setting, making that setting, too, of how long that they've been in this one place, that these, yeah. over like the, time... Yeah. These people are provincial. And we're in yeah. Tolkien, provincial people are just nice, nice, bumbling, you know, farmers. Like, oh, ho, ho, everything is nice, you know. Mm-hmm. Odalali or whatever. Odalali. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think yeah. right? It's been a while since I read it. But in this, like, the... These people that live in these this provincial backwater are actually really suspicious of outsiders, and they're really small minded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he's saying that's just how uneducated people are, you know. Mm. Okay. So, so you're saying that? And that, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Terran fairy yeah. people. I think these people just <clears throat> mistrust outsiders. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting theory. I have a counter theory. Yes. I think <laughs> I think that it's they're just a scapegoat for the cannibalism thing. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Bran, right? He's running things, Bran Alvier. So he 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 controls like the go the comings and goings. He he controls like the the narrative of his town. So he if he establishes a sca- scapegoat, if anyone goes missing, you know, it's not his fault. It's probably those Terran fairies. Terran, yeah. yeah, came in, you know, robbed or you well, know, killed thing, someone and ate him. The thing is, here's an interesting thing too that struck me is okay, so. The- Emmons, Emmons, Field people sure. are constantly shitting on the Terran Ferry people, right? Right. Yeah. Like, we have a lot of direct quotes there. But even just in the, like, omniscient narrative, Robert Jordan's making fun of them, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, there's one part he says, like, he's just kind of... There's a paragraph, worry was not uncommon for the village council these days, not in Eamon's Field, or even Terran Ferry, though who knew what Terran Ferry folk really thought about <laughs> anything? <laughs> That's I a think- good... Well, I think for the omniscient narrative. Right. Oh, you think he was like I, I think speaking the, from the perspective uh, of Rand or something? It's not. There's a actually a term for it. It's yeah. It's it's omniscient narrative, but it's from the perspective with the knowledge of the person whose point of view chapter or point of view it is. Mm-hmm. So he is. I I think what he's saying. He's saying that from the perspective of Rand. Okay. I think okay. I think Tolkien does that a little bit as well when he's in the in this. It's been a little bit, but I I believe as he's introducing the hobbits, he says a lot of things. That would that are like Hobbit-ish in perspective, like oh, you know, but that that's those, those people are trouble, and we don't want to deal with it, you know, something like that. Yeah. So I, I think it could be a, a okay. similar concept, but that, that does make sense, and that's that's a good point. They, they even the omniscient narrative is yeah. yeah. Not one, thing, one thing he does in this book is switch around his per, his perspective characters in each chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets to the point where each chapter is a different uh, perspective, and he, he starts. He starts saying different things as the omniscient narrator. Interesting. So it's not there's uh, I wish I knew the term for it because it's not omniscient, but it it's a third person narrator, but the the narrator doesn't know more than the character does usually. Mm-hmm. Although Rand probably wasn't thinking the wheel of time turns and ages come and pass. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh shoot! There is a name for that, like with Harry Potter, where Harry yes. Potter's told, yeah, third yeah, person. Yeah, it's a common, it's, it's a common voice in in fantasy. Yeah. So I don't, yeah. So anyway, that's my take on it. I don't think the Terran fairy folk are bad. I think they're just the the other village, and just because they're far away, these people hate them. I also mm-hmm. don't think they're cannibals, although I see that you are building a case. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I just, I just call them how I see them, and I see a lot of cannibals. I, don't agree <laughs> uh-huh. I see a man who right. who eats a lot, and a lot of people go disappearing. Yeah. So they meet Moraine and Lan, and Moraine says a bunch of mysterious stuff like, maybe this place has more history than you know, and tell me about yourself. When were you born? Yeah. Uh, like you do when you meet new people. Right. <laughs> uh, and gives them all a significant coin, mm-hmm. right? And, and then there's another young guy with them, Ewan something. McGregor. Yeah. Ewan McGregor. <laughs> Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Uh, of the McGregor family. And she doesn't give him the special coin, so there's, there's something special about Rand and Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes. Wait, so. is, is Perrin with them at that point? or No, Perrin no. doesn't meet up yet. with them until later, the third right. of the bros. Yeah. Uh, so the next chapter is chapter three, The Peddler. 
So this is the the peddler, a character who is going to be in the freaking whole series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Padden Fane shows up, uh, and Padden Fane, I think, is there to kind of show how these townsfolk that Rand doesn't realize that they're kind of bumpkins. Yeah, uh, and Rand doesn't realize that because he's a bumpkin. Right. Uh, but Padden Fane shows up, and he kind of treats them all really crappy. He does. Uh, but they're but they're into it. You know, they're like, tell us, you know, tell us about the outside world. Like even this Padden Fane, who's he's just some traveling peddler is like a, a worldly guy to them. Uh, but he tells them that there's dark doings going on in the world. There's a false dragon, and the Ace today have sent a party to capture the false dragon in Gaelden. Ace today? Shit. Ice <laughs> today. I today. I, I was thinking Ace today. Ace today. Is yeah. it? Is, it's is, like Ace like like Spades. Yeah. <laughs> if you consult <laughs> our our reference in the back, oh shoot, shoot, shoot. Let yeah, me look. Yeah, we, we're gonna settle this once and for all. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, while you do, I I could not find Gildan on the map because in my book, Gildan is right on the crease, and I and I it's really hard to see. Okay, ready? Yeah. It's Eyes Sedai. Eyes Sedai. Eyes Sedai. Okay. So you're right about that, but not the cannibals. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm just saying. So anyway, yeah, Patton Fane tells a story about there's a false dragon and Aes Sedai, and they're all freaked out by the, the, the story of the false dragon. They seem like they're more freaked out by the by the false dragon having a war than they are about war itself. Even though on the map, Gildan is like right next to the two rivers. Hmm. So I'm looking at right now, so let's see. It's south. It's just south of the two rivers. Yeah, yeah, it's not that far. At yeah, all. I can, I can kind of see it. It's uh, next to Jehenna. Jahana. Yeah. Well, Gaelden is the is the region, right? Yeah, I think it's it's a nation or a region. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, and Jahana yeah. is a city in it. It looks like. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it definitely looks like Gel Gel Gaelden. That's what I'm thinking. Gaelden, yeah, is the is the the neighbor to the south. They're they're not too far away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they uh, we don't we the reader don't know this yet. Really, what the what the dragon is all about, but a, but a. The guy has, has shown up calling himself the dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, surely he's a false dragon, because that happens from time to time. And, yeah. But they mention that when the, there's all these stories, like when the dragon shows up, he's going to kill us all and end the world. But another guy's like, well, I heard a story that when the dragon shows up, he's going to solve all our problems and he's going to save the world. And they're like, that's stupid. Uh, so there's... there's it's another prophecies kind of thing. Yeah, it's another of uh, Robert Jordan's things where there's a bunch of different takes on every story. And mm-hmm. there's, a, there's different histories and different perspectives. Uh, which is certainly uh, Vietnam, right? There's a there's a bunch of different ways to look at that during yeah. that time. Uh, and so in this chapter, uh, Nynaeve shows up. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, the, the person that I think is the most unlikable person in the series. Easily. You know, I, I actually... Okay, I, I, I might be the odd one out in this, but I didn't actually have much of a problem with her because I feel like she's got... She's got a lot of, a lot to prove, you know? See, I like her character, but I think Robert Jordan falls back on using the same descriptors of her over and over and over again, which mm-hmm. is where she gets frustrating. But I would like to point out that she literally beats people, including old men. Oh, she does. Yeah. yeah with Hits stick. stick. Rand says, you know, Nanave's temper, when Senbui called her a child last year, she thumped him on the head with a stick. And he's on the village council and old enough to be her grandfather besides. She flares up at anything and never stays angry past turning around. Which is not true, because that bitch can hold a grudge. Right. It, literally in that chapter, she turns around and stays angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they talk about, and they describe this, that she's liable to give a flail to anybody she thought was acting the fool. Heads or hands or legs, no matter their age or position. So they're totally fine with this young woman just 
running around and beating on people whenever yeah. she wants to. I, yeah, I have to say, I, I can't really get behind the idea of solving every problem with violence. You know, I'm a, a bit of a pacifist myself. Mm-hmm. So when she's like going out swinging that and stick. And a cannibalist. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a funny thing because her problem is that nobody respects her because she's so young for this right. position, which I think is equivalent to mayor. Right, she's like the woman mayor. The wisdom. The wisdom, yeah, she's I, the wisdom. Yeah, I, I mean, like, she's definitely, the, it seems like a matriarchal role I didn't for notice sure. that before, but this time, like, there's a village council and the mayor who's like, keeps them in line, and there's the women's circle and the wisdom. I, I would put her more, I think of her more as like a shaman. Yeah. Yeah. But she's definitely like the, the she seems to be the leader of the the, the women in the city. Yeah, town, yeah, definitely. Village. Yeah, I didn't, I just think that there's a, she's definitely more of a shaman. She doesn't sort of make political decisions like mm-hmm. the mayor seems to do. Yeah. But, but uh, she's equivalent in authority, and I think she's intended to be the mirror image. Yeah. And there is something Robert Jordan is into. Mirror images. Women and men being different but equal. Yin and yang kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. And Nanave shows up and is really rude to everybody uh, for telling stories, I guess. And then Egwene shows up. Edgeween. Edgeween. <laughs> <laughs> Which, now that I'm saying it out loud, I like less. <laughs> I think it's Egwene. We can switch to Egwene. I'm cool. But she shows up and Rand, like... Totally turns into a stammering idiot. Oh my god! It's yeah. a girl. Which then, I mean, <laughs> I'm he's, he's known her yeah, for a long time, right? I mean, like, I'm sorry, but the grand reveal when she like casually throws back her cloak and he sees that her hair is now braided and yeah. she's like a, woman <laughs> now. She's a woman Yeah, and it says he like I don't have the description right on me, but he like steps back as though he's been burned. Well, you know, you know, it felt very dramatic to so, me. So, so like I, I get the impression that there's a lot of there's a lot of subtext attached to the the, the braid in this culture. You know, okay. like yeah. it, it feels a little a little silly to me too. But it'd be like. Uh, it, it seems to carry like a badge that indicates like, oh, it's time for me to get married. You know, it's sure, like, oh, yeah. like I'm down for you know partying now or whatever. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like when that first ha- happens, it it, uh, it carries a lot of like cultural meaning for them. Yeah, no, I get it. I just thought that the description was a little. It was a, it was a big deal to him. Yeah. You know, he's like, oh shit, because oh, you know everyone's already trying to get him now. married. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. I yeah. Yeah, I mean, it scares me. The idea is that he didn't. He still thinks of her as his childhood friend and like, oh my gosh, now she's she's got girl parts. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, so, he has the hawks for her though. He yeah. totally does, right? And yeah. so I, I buy that because I, I have said said and done stupid things around women that I had the hots for, right, in my life. Mm-hmm. This has happened once or twice, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but he, he just doesn't handle it. Like it feels like he, he knows that she's right of that age. She's the same age as him. And then he sees it and he totally freaks out, right? I, if, Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, it, it reminds me of that TV trope where after the summer, the girl comes back and all of a sudden she has boobs. Like, yeah. that's like the, I think that's kind of what they're going for here. Mm. It's like, okay, he never thought of her as like that kind of thing exactly. But I mean, obviously he did because he talks about it. But like, then it's like, it's real all of a sudden. It's like, oh, all right. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's a very old fashioned thing too. I mean, that used to be a thing with women. They would, when they started putting their hair up, it indicated that they were young women. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But can we stop and talk about ages for a second? Yeah. Because... Yeah. So how? Because I thought that Egwene was <laughs> was younger than Rand. I got she the impression is. that he was like in his twenties and she was like eighteen. So or he's definitely teenage. He's and definitely he's I, definitely like he seventeen. Yeah, okay. I think it's more like he's maybe sixteen, seventeen. She's like fifteen ish. Maybe so? fourteen, I fifteen. Right. And when how old do you think Nanave is? Because they go on and on That's about how young point. she is, but she's she's. I know she's older. She. she I think that they. I. And I think that they say that she's. Maybe a year or two older, which would make sense that she's young, but mm-hmm. still technically an adult. Okay. So she could be like 18 to 20. Okay. Yeah. I I, I would have said 25. 
for Nineveh. Yeah, yeah, but I, I don't have much to base that on. She's yeah. young enough that, that you still call her a girl, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and she apparently is not helped by her being very small. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and very Small. immature. <laughs> well, I mean, like, she's got a lot, like I said, you know, to defend Nanave again, I think she's got a lot to, to stand against. Are you pro Nanave? Are you in the Nanave camp? I might be a little Nineveh. bit. I mean, like, no, no, I acknowledge that she makes some decisions that are not, you know, ideal, but, but you know, this is, a, this is clearly a, a culture that has a strong patriarchal element. And she's trying to like assert herself as a small, younger woman, and like you know, she has to, she has to to speak the language of men, I guess. In this, in she's these, hitting them with sticks, which is <laughs> maybe a little bit of violence. I don't know. Like that's how she feels like she has to prove herself. Which, mm-hmm. I, I'm, admittedly, I'm sure there are better ways to deal with it, but you know, yeah. that seems to be the thing that they understand. I feel like he goes a little. Robert Jordan goes a little overboard with the descriptions to make her. It feels like he's trying to make her like she's a feisty animal. Like he talks about her, literally her hair bristling with anger. And it makes me yeah. think of, I don't know, a badger or yeah, something. You know, like yeah. some pissed off little ferocious yeah, animal he overdoes with little it, sharp teeth. I think for sure. Yeah. So the, uh, yeah, Egwene shows up and I believe this is the chapter where she says, you know, she, she mentions like, maybe I'm not going to get married. Maybe I'm going to go be a wisdom. And Egwene's like, but they already have a wisdom. And she's like, maybe I'll go to another town. And he's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty... That was, that was pretty interesting because I mean, like, is it really that hard to imagine going to another town? But apparently, it is. It, yeah, it's yeah. a small town. I guess that's it. Yeah. I mean, later on, it's it's really hard for him to imagine that his father was ever in another town. That's a good point. Yeah. And it's, but even though he knows that his his mother was an outlander, he knows that his father left the town. Yeah. And so this outlander wanders into town to marry his marry his dad. Well, or, I think yeah. he knows that his father went and got the outlander. Mm, so like, back. Yeah. yeah, but it, but it never crosses Rand's mind that anybody would leave. But I, you know, now that I say it out loud. When you're young and your life has been stable, you don't think about you don't think that things can change. So yeah. I, I think I believe that more. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but also, I thought Egwene was pretty rude about that whole thing. Like, she really she, is. She like misread what he said. Like, what you don't think I can do handle it or something like that? You don't think that that's like Robert Jordan saying like this is how women be? You know, <laughs> like that's kind of the impression I got. You know, yeah. I do think that. that yeah. And yeah, then that is like, also, the women are constantly giving like disconcerting looks. Like they are very sly and they know what's going on and they're like they're to test oh yeah men. and yeah the the women in Emmons Field are predatory towards Rand's father. Oh yeah. Oh really? Yeah. They, remember, he says like Tam like didn't make any eye contact because he didn't want to get trapped. You know, <laughs> yeah. they, they trap him in in their kitchen and like feed him food and then talk and then just like talk about their cousin who needs a good man. And, and then and then they casually ask, "Oh, well, Rand needs a good woman, right?" <laughs> Well, well, my my favorite is apparently the women just talk about how it's long. It's great that Tam had a really happy marriage, but it's totally past time for him to be over his dead wife. Yeah, that, that's a little cold, right? <laughs> it is that's just rough. a little, yeah. Yeah, well, I, mean, I definitely it's been like fifteen years or something, and 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 he's a farmer. You know, he needs help on the farm. It, this that's is, what he has farmers need for. families. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. He needs to make some more make some more babies to I, work the fields. But I think part of this is I'd go with that. Yeah, yeah that, I, and. Yeah, it's creepy because Rand is like a kid and he's clearly not set up mentally to handle a relationship. No. But they're like kind of trying to fix him up. and mm-hmm. uh, I, But I think it's Robert Jordan trying to make the point that women, that the women in this series are as pushy and forceful as, as the men in the series. Yeah. And I don't know if it's, that, what, why is it that they come off as being like such jerks? Well, I wonder if he's going for that or if he's just going for this idea of you have such a small town that things become 
it's just like this little pressure cooker, mm-hmm. you know, like all the men are going to have to get married off and everybody knows everybody else's business and everybody mm-hmm. knows everybody else and is suspicious. So I wonder if that's him just trying to like set this atmosphere for the Maybe small that's town. It, yeah. yeah, like there's nothing else to do but get in, get up in everyone else's business and yeah. like, well, this is just like the thing to talk about now. Yeah. So the other thing that happens in this chapter is Perrin shows up, the Ooh. third of the bros. Which is, yeah. I, I guess, basically like the dwarf, right? Like he's the dwarf of the party. <laughs> he's like short but stocky, like arms as big around as some people's legs or Even something. Even though he's still a pretty big guy, though. Yeah, he's 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 he's, he's definitely not as tall as Rand. Rand is like yeah. the giant because he's got which the height we find of out an later airman. on. Oh, yeah. spoilers. Uh, yeah, and, but yeah, Rand. I think Perrin is still big, but he's like. It's interesting that these guys are such friends because Rand is like the Leonardo yeah. and, and Perrin is more of like the Donatello. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and Matt is a Michelangelo. Michelangelo, obviously. Wait, so who's Raphael? The Dark One. Yeah, I mean, let's see. Raphael yeah. is the angry one who's rude all the time and he sucks. Yeah. Oh, there you go. It's Nanave. Your <laughs> name is Raphael. Uh, yeah. Yes. Oh. Perfect. I mean, yeah. isn't she wearing a blue dress? So there you go. Uh, Raphael wears red. red. Oh, yeah, uh, we'll edit that out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm so embarrassed. No, right we gotta now. leave it in. Shit. Uh, yeah. So it's those three people who saw the. Well, no, no, more people saw the black Rose. Yeah, yeah, I think it was all of the young men young of a certain men. age. Yeah. Because yeah. I think they mentioned uh, yeah. another Joker guy. Uh, he's one of the. He's one of the guys who got scared about the dogs. I think yeah. also saw him. So the next thing we've got is a uh, chapter four, the Glee Man, or Gleeman. Like Gleam, the Gleam and Gleam Gleam, Man. Gleam. That would Gleam be my name for the Gleam Man. The Gleam and Gleam, Gleam Man. Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I want to... Actually, that's something I was curious about. What is a... What's the real world equivalent of a Gleeman? He's a bard, minstrel. right? A bard, yeah. A yeah. minstrel. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that is that question. He's like a he's like a one man like band. He's got music talent, he's got poetry. Like he's he's, he's just everything. like a, he's a, he's an entertainer. What I really thought was interesting is like how much they really like dig this Gleeman cuz like you know, when I was hearing them talk about what he does, I was like, okay, that's that's cool, you know. But I mean, like, I well, guess they don't really have much yeah, entertainment, imagine right? Imagine a world where there's no internet. Right? <laughs> wait, 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 what? <laughs> imagine a world where there's no TV. Like, like, like why wouldn't they just break they, out their iPhones one, and start? One shelf of books, which I actually think is a pretty anachronistic, if this was a... If that's this a was lot of history. books. Yeah, that's a lot of books. Yeah. yeah that's for, for, like, two farmers to have. Well, it's supposed to be sort of, like, quasi-medieval England, right? You know? Yeah, right? Yeah. Sort of medieval-ish. Like yeah. The, yeah. And they're, like, in, the, the in a rural place like where they're lucky to get, you know, a book or two every year, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, so, that, so this is the most... Inter- literally the most entertaining thing that has ever happened in their lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? No, that, that, and, and honestly, that makes me feel a little bit better about Matt because, like, they're bored as shit. So maybe... The setting badgers loose and like right. you know, they, they got to make yeah, their own Alice fun. Used to teach right the, the kids that were bored were the worst right. Yeah, exactly. If you yeah, don't, if you don't occupy them, they get up to no good. Yeah, exactly. Even though, okay, so here's a question though: If they're in this incredibly isolated thing, though, they still have gunpowder because they've got fireworks. Well, they they, they they don't have it. They yeah that that actually becomes a plot element later on. They mm. haven't invented uh, guns yet, but mm-hmm. they do have fireworks. But the fireworks are is like a guild of. What do they call them? Fire pyrologists. I don't know. Yeah. No, there's like fire people or something. Okay, which firemen who, who protect their secrets. Yeah. And travel around. That's that's the kind of thing. Okay. But it's it's definitely the kind of thing where right. it's it's magical and mysterious to them. They don't understand mm-hmm. how these things work. And it's, yeah. it sounds like it was pretty expensive. Though again, but they seem know, to have a lot of money to bring in like <laughs> a Gleeman and. 
fireworks. Well, how much do you think that costs, right? The Glee Man? Uh, he only works one day, right? Also, I got the impression he worked for tips because they have a point at the very beginning when he like looks around and he's counting how many people are in the crowd, just debating whether or not to juggle or tell a story or something, and he I, kind of sighs, yeah. which makes me think that he gets tips. My, my read is he just didn't want to waste his time with a small crowd. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Because he's being paid for the next day, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, he shows up, Tom Marilyn. Uh, and he's incredibly dramatic, mm-hmm. and he has a coat of all sorts of different colors. Which is apparently a hilarious thing. Uh, I've never seen one. Maybe it's really funny. Yeah, <laughs> and he loves stroking his mustaches. Uh, yes. Plural. He yeah. yeah, he which, does. Which he's I read plural. is he has like two mustaches on top of each other. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I thought it was more like like a... I think it's a, like a Fu Manchu. Two, yeah, Fu Manchu. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're not like double like, hang, like hanging down the side of his... Not like not, not like four arms of mustache. <laughs> okay. This guy is the best entertainer in the world, and the best entertainer in the world probably has two mustaches. But, I mean, that like... pretty it, dang entertaining. Because anyone can grow one mustache, right? <laughs> but aren't two mustaches way more entertaining? <laughs> I mean, just saying... <laughs> Yeah, so he seems yeah. like a big deal. I mean, like, like I, I, I get that a gleeman is a big deal in and of itself, but to hear the way they describe him, the way in the way he talks, it sounds like he may be kind of a more than just an average gleeman. Well, are you talking about spoilers? Because that's what happens. Oh, well, I didn't know that. I was just, yeah. I mean, I, it turns. I out, should know that, but I don't remember. Yeah, it turns out there's a lot more to this guy. Yeah, uh, but he just so so he's like more highly trained than a normal gleeman they would have got. Okay. He's also super sexy. I kind of thought he was Gandalf. I know that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Oh. He's not magical or anything, but like his name's Merlin, he's right? Old, he's old and he's beardy and he does take a kind of paternal interest in the kids. Yeah, and then I know he doesn't have wizard powers, but his name, you know, he, well, he, he does. Well, he can make like a flower appear. Yeah, yeah. He, he has some he has some tricks, right? So I was, I was wondering if he's he was a little bit of the Gandalf. He also has a bunch of lore, too. Yeah, he knows all the secrets and all the stories. His, yeah, and uh, I actually thought that was, was interesting that, that he seems to know all these things that that nobody knows. You know, all these all these old, old stories, which... You're right. That's is, a good point. I, well, this is... You know, I've, I've been harping on how similar this is to Lord of the Rings, but I think this is one of the places probably where Jordan got... Uh, original got creative, yeah. And there, there isn't really the Gandalf role is kind of split between these two people, and who neither of whom are directly matched up to that, right? There's this, there's a mysterious wizard who comes and rousts these kids out of their bucolic existence, but there's also this Gleeman character who isn't like an epic character. He, he's really sort of a like a, jo- a jester, a joker. Like he's yeah. kind of cynical, right? He's yeah. cynical in a way that few of the other people in the the books are. But he has like a, I think there's a, definitely an air of wisdom about him too, though. Like he, you're right. He's cyni- uh, sorry, cyni- a little cynical and, and kind of but and kind of a joker. But he definitely seems to have seen some shit. In, yeah, in, it you know. does. Like um, Perrin is saying, um, Perrin says, "Ah, we're not the made up creatures from your stories." And Tom says, after tugging at one of his mustaches, just one of them. <laughs> Well, now, <laughs> made, up, for? Made, well, made up creatures for my stories, is that what they are? Mm, yeah. Yeah, so he's, so, yeah, he's probably he's seen, seen some it. shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that, in that scene, he's making fun of them. Mm-hmm. He's saying, oh, yeah, it's all, it's all fake. Eh? Yeah. You guys know so much. Mm-hmm. And when he's, uh, when he's pulling on his mustache, he's covering his, his smile. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, that you, he does that forever, right? He's like yeah. Nene pulling on her braid. Yeah. Some, <laughs> so something that I, I, I was probably way more obvious than, than it should have been, but I did not pick up on my first read-through, but now I noticed is. Uh, it's a lot of the re- stories he references are references yeah. to like historical events. Because Tom, Tom Marilyn quickly draws a crowd and starts listing off all the stories that he knows. Right, mm-hmm. and so you get you get names of them basically. Yeah. Jane Farstrider, who shows up again. Who, yeah. Who do you think that's referencing? 
No, that's that's why not I, all of them are. But. Yeah, I think this Jordan did a great job here because not some of them are not, and some of them are, mm-hmm. and some of them are a little bit. And so it, it, gives, to, it gives you this real feel that like the the real world and it, you know is the secret, right? Mm-hmm. The real world is one of these other ages, uh, and but there's all these other ages too. It's like mm-hmm. this whole huge thing, bigger bigger than the real world, bigger than this story, bigger than anybody can comprehend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is a thing that he does great. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. They're talking about how he's trying to like entice people when he's got this group here. They talk about uh, Arthur, yeah, being dragged, uh, yeah, all these, yeah, all the various Arthurs, the ale waste, the green man, the warders and trollocs, the ogier and ale. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. Len who flew to the moon in the belly of an eagle made of fire. Was John Glenn? I, I just think that's John Glenn, right? <laughs> yeah, that's totally John Glenn, right? Yeah. And, but then I was confused because he said, and then his daughter Salia, who like married the the Queen of the Stars, or something. that's what I was trying to figure out. Is that another reference, or is that like Sally Ride? I, oh. I thought I thought that right, but Sally Ride is not as historically relevant as John Glenn. But this book was that's released sexist. in 1990, right? So, so she, like, she was in the news, right? Yeah. Mm. When I was reading that, you, that you really think Sally Ride is. As important as John Glenn? In her own way. Hmm. I mean, she, was, she broke a lot of barriers, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. They had a mosque with the lance made of fire that could reach around the world. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like the like Cold get, War reference, get right? This. He mentioned this later, and I remember this, because uh, there are two of them that he mentions later, and the other one's named Merc. And they had a giant war with lances of fire and destroyed the world. That's great. Yeah, I mean, like... Right? Yeah. Musk no. and Merc. That's, that's so... I I, I when I, like really I, good. I I I ate that paragraph up. I really loved it. And then we have uh, Madaris the healer, the uh, mother of the wondrous Ind. Yeah, right. It's Mother Teresa. Right? Yeah, of India. Oh. Also, someone who was big in the eighties. That's true. I, I don't know whether. So, so I think if you, I mean, I think it's cool, and I think it's fun to fun to puzzle this out. But also, he was a little he was having a little recency bias there with what's really important in history. I think that's unavoidable. I think that I think that anyone has a tendency to do that because that's sure. that's you know, I mean. You you won't know what's going to be important in fifty years, right? It's impossible to know what what people are going to remember. What is, this what's, podcast? <laughs> this podcast. It's going to be the defining culture. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a little bit of oh my gosh, I'm totally drawing a blank. But the he he was a very famous English author who wrote a bunch of stories about people who were on a pilgrimage. He wrote oh, Chaucer. Chaucer. Yeah, I yeah. think there's a little bit of Chaucer in there too. Oh, really? Like one of the stories. He, he names is how Goodwife Carol cured her husband of snoring, which is a very Chaucerian it is. story. Yeah. yeah. yeah so was, I think there's a few nods at the head yeah, to right? English mythology this would and be literature that, there. That would fit right in with this uh, this time period, right? Yeah. In, in this fictional world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Elspeth, the queen of all. Yeah. No, I, I, I really enjoyed that little that little segment where he's having his little his little thing because it was like it was full of flavor that 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 established. You know what 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 is remembered and what isn't and what kinds of, and how how history has evolved into legend as you know as they mentioned in the yeah you know, right you know. yeah mm-hmm. and even what even legends that disappeared when the age that brought them around came around at last or something like that yeah so it's, it's pretty it's, great it's it's funny but that that another know. thing I noticed is that these neither neither Tom Marilyn nor the people listening to him make any distinction between stories to tell and history. Right, whether it really happened or it didn't, it's all the same to them. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that that makes a lot of sense because I, I think you could even say that's something that 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 we have to some degree. I mean, like also, I think that was more the attitude in a time when there weren't a lot of books out there. I mean, mm-hmm. everything was oral, an oral history. That yeah. is a really good point. They didn't yeah. have history books, so it, how do they know what's fact? And it what's surprised just... me because I I guess I would have thought like he would say, no, there's something that really happened, and this person, you know, 
their descendants are still alive. And then here's this funny story about you know the the, the mice that ran up the clock or whatever. Uh, but probably everything is both, right? Like every story that's told is based on is like maybe a. A flourish put on something that actually happened or, also, or dramatization. don't you get the impression that every time a new age begins, everything has been destroyed from the previous ages? Because they don't have a lot of stuff from any of the previous ages at yeah, all. It, it definitely seems like cataclysm is what changes yeah. the age. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah, there's definitely like a, a cutoff when, when you know, humanity is returned to the Stone Age one way or the other, and then we have to work our way back up. All these to do it again. Yeah, so then, uh, so Tom... Puts on this amazing show. He starts juggling. Apparently, judge, juggles six balls, which I think is really hard. Yeah, that's a lot. And uh, I mean, but, I'm not a juggler, but yeah. but with not even like, not even struggling. You know, not a big deal. And he does it while turning in a circle and talking yeah. in this, this wonderful voice. You know, he's he apparently is extremely entertaining. Yeah. Uh, and everybody's watching him. Uh, but then he sees Moraine, and at the sight of her, he grabs the balls and says, "Okay." Like I'm not gonna like he stops completely dead. Mm-hmm. What was he? Bows. What was he talking about yeah. at the time that it happened? Because I, I I seem to remember there was he was telling a story that maybe she wouldn't like. Yeah, he he mentioned like I've got stories about he, he, something like I've got Here stories about evil Ace today. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the adventures of men and women, rich and poor, great and small, proud and humble. And then he lists a few stories. King Dareth and the fall of the house of abruptly the flow of words and the juggling alike stopped. Tom simply snatched the balls from the air and stopped talking. Moraine had joined the listeners. Uh, so it, it was it was right after that he was talking about uh, the time of madness, which was uh, when the Aes Sedai shattered oh, the world. Oh, there it yeah. is. I see yeah. earlier on the paragraph. So okay. I, I think what we'll find is that Aes Sedai are feared and hated, especially mm-hmm. by, by the small folk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Tom Marilyn probably makes money telling stories that are bad about Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. Usually the villains are Aes Sedai. Totally. So, which is interesting because that means he 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 looks at her and he's like, oh shit, she's yeah, Aes Sedai. Yeah, it's the ageless face. Yeah, he knows exactly what she is. Yeah, so immediately, like, he knows what she is and they have a little, like, subtextual conversation mm-hmm. where where she's like, I hope you don't tell any bad stories. And he's like, I won't. Yeah, because you'll fry me. Or yeah, right? some I mean, stories like, I like, some I do not. Kind of a police exactly. state, like controlled message kind of thing, right? Yeah, I mean, Big Brother. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like he, he, she spooks him, you know, because yeah. he, because he can see immediately what she is. Yeah, yeah. which is a, a wizard, basically. And he yeah. protests way too much that he is a simple gleeman, that and nothing more. Right, which yeah. we will find out is not true. Yes. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. Sure. <laughs> uh, of this what. 30-year-old book. Yeah. 37 years old. That no, people wait, are reading. The, yeah. the people are reading along with us right now. I haven't read ahead. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm sorry for spoiling this. He, yeah, she spooks him, and he, he, he makes nice with her uh, and promises not to tell any, like, rabble-rousing, burn the Aes Sedai story. Yeah. Uh, and then he leaves, uh, and the, the bros get together, and they, they decide to tell the council about the Black Rider, but then before they can do that, Rand has to head back to the farm with his dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yes, that's chapter four. So why why did he come into town in the first place? Because I thought there was going to be like a night festival, but they show up, they shoot the shit for a while, and then they so see they, Tom and they del- leave. De- oh, yeah, 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 they're delivering the the ale or not the ale, the the it is cast of cider. Yeah, you know, it's it's cider and brandy. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what's on for the, the party the next day. So that's yeah. why they go home. Which okay. which Tam had promised to do it, and he he, meant, he briefly says at one point like. You normally would have stayed at the farm, but Tam promised to bring the cider, and nothing will stop him from from his promise. Mm. And normally, I think they would have brought it in much earlier. It sounds like because uh, I remember I remember Bran is like, "Oh, I thought you weren't guys, you guys weren't going to come at all because it was the yeah. la- basically the last possible minute to." Yeah, and I think Rand lose. wanted to stay, but but Tam was like, "No, we got to go back to the farm because 
because we're everything's so spooky right now or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Too spooky for me. <laughs> <laughs> Too spooky for me. Or five me, sorry. Uh, yeah, but there but there is a festival or a pre-festival. There's Winter Night, mm-hmm. which apparently there's something, and Rand is sad to miss it. Yeah. But they're going to be back for Beltine. But yeah. so, uh, was there a reason that they had to leave immediately, or was it just like the general, general kind of sinisterness of all the stuff, the I, news? I guess they just. They, got. They, I think Tam mentioned it briefly, but he basically said, uh, "You know, we're under these circumstances. I would feel safer being back on the farm." Because mm-hmm. I think that, uh, yeah, I think it's it's at that point because they find out about the war. What spooks the village council is the war in Gaelden about the false dragon because mm-hmm. they're worried about war stragglers or whatever. But I think also uh, at that point we, they've established that they they're starting to think that maybe this like Black Rider is like a real thing because yeah, yeah that's right yeah. he's yeah. like yeah. since we learned about the war mm-hmm. then maybe that's who this guy is and the, like oh you know if if a uh, if one like person sees it that's one thing but if like four different guys say it, and one of them is like a guy that we actually find reliable okay yeah. well maybe you guys are I enjoyed that at several occasions Matt's like well we there's a lot of us we can go tell him now and they look at him like. You're not going to help us. Yeah. <laughs> like, you saying it is worse than Yeah. <laughs> you know? They make it worse. Yeah. Yeah, poor Matt. I mean, like, it sounds like he, he deserves the He's reputation. Cried, that, cried wolf. Yeah. 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 Or uh, fell hounds or whatever. Yeah. So that's... Uh, actually, Tam explains that to him at the beginning of the, the next chapter. It was chapter five, Winter Night. Right. Uh, so they head back to the, the Althor farm. And the Althor farm, like the, uh, like the inn, I felt was like a... A fantasy archetype of this really nice farm, you know, mm-hmm. like really nice land, and they got sheep, and they take care of themselves, and and they've got like a barn, they have a farmyard, they have they have everything that you'd want for like a peaceful country existence, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like a dream where they live, which is interesting because my understanding of uh, you know farmers throughout history is it's usually a pretty crappy job. You work all the time. You're always poor. It's cold you're and usually, miserable. You're usually a peasant, and you don't have a lot of rights. Mm-hmm. But they they seem to have perfect. There's no lord, right? They seem to have perfect rights to do whatever they want and go wherever they want. Yeah, they own the land, I guess. Yeah, they, they own got, the land. It's a pretty prosperous farm. There's no, uh, you know, bandits or anything. Yeah, well, they're not like peasants or serfs or anything. They're not, yeah. yeah. And I guess it's, it's, it's sort of established that where they are farming is not, like, desirable territory because they're, yeah. so, they're so close to the Westwood, That's I think. That's true. They're in, they're in the Westwood, I think, yeah. which is on the way to the Mountains of Mist. Right. Which nobody goes into because they're cursed. Yeah, and, and they the, talk about how the land is kind of shitty around there too. But that's to like illustrate the Emonsfield people's stubbornness, I think. And, yeah. and also, I, I think that they're established. I remember they were talking about the, the fact that they were part of their isolation is due to the fact that three of their four sides are surrounded by stuff that nobody wants to mess with. Like on one side you have the mountains of mist, on one side you have the forest of shadows, or something like that. And then was it was it the ale waste to the? No, that's way far off. Though. That's way, oh, okay. Super far off. I feel like they're surrounded by stuff that people don't like to to mess with. So they're they're yeah. They're the mountains, the mountains of mist and the the water wood is that what they called it? Oh yes, that's what it was. On the other side. Yeah, it's like a swamp and, land. That's a real. Or is that in the south? No, no, you're right. That's that's to the east, I think. And the south is a river, the White River, which is is a. a uh, turbulent river, so no one ever crosses it. And beneath, and south of that is the forest of shadows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they have the mountains of mist on there uh, to the west. They have the mire to oh, the there east, you go, yeah. which is uh, the waterwood also. Yeah. So yeah, basically, they're, they're on, on three sides they have like really undesirable territory. So it's actually kind of a strategic place, I guess. <clears throat> yeah, and as we'll find out, there there were there was a nation there once, but bad things happened to it because history. Uh, spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Tam and Rand head head back to their their uh, farm, and on the way there, Tam t- says this stuff we were talking about. They 
you know, we've had several reports of this black rider and we heard about the war, so there might actually be something to it, so we want to go go back to the farm. And Tam starts being, even though he seems like a really solid guy, he starts acting a little spooked himself. Mm-hmm. When they get back the, to the farm, uh, he makes some stew and tea for dinner, uh, and he pulls out of his chest a sword! He has a sword. A really fancy sword. Like an amazing sword. It's not just like a a plain old, it's got like a bird on it. Even though what what really confused (laughs) me though, they're describing the sword and then Tam says, and I paid entirely too much. Two coppers is too much for one of these. Like two coppers for a really nice sword. So that's... I think I think he's not saying that's what he paid. I think he's saying even two coppers would be too much. Right, exactly. Because swords like, are worthless because war is bad. Bingo. Yeah, I think oh. that, that was my read. Okay. I had to read it twice because that's exactly my first impression. I was like, two coppers for that? And he's like, oh, wait, no. He's saying any amount of money, even a small amount of money, would be too much for us. Okay. But, but I think I, I think it. when he's saying, yeah... Uh, uh, I any like I paid far too much for it. I think he's like being metaphorical, and it's like mm. I killed my best friend for it, or something like that. You know, uh-huh. mm-hmm. like or maybe you just spent a whole lot of money on it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we don't we don't know a lot about his but history. But he's, it, the the idea is like, you know, you pay with more than coin, and a sword is like dangerous, and fighting people is bad. Yo, which is is definitely what we. What we take away is that, that any time that there's a fight, people lo- like everybody yeah. loses. The interesting thing though is Rand had no idea that Tam had a sword. Yeah, yeah. so like there's he lives this alone chest. with the guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's this chest under his dad's bed. And he's like, eh, whatever. He just never opened it. I, I mean, like, I don't think. I mean, I feel like it's it's a thing where if you have something that you're not supposed to look at, you're going to be like, I don't know what's when you're a kid. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Find his dad's parchments of. You know, the ladies or whatever right. the equivalent of Playboy was back then. So yeah, it, 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 it yeah, is a stretch that he had. I mean, Tam's been alone no for idea, a long right? time. Yeah, but I guess Tam was hiding it. You know. Yeah. Uh, but he knew where the chest was. He was like, "It's the chest under my dad's bed that he never." <laughs> I, I get the feeling they respect each other's privacy pretty well, though. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it's a fantasy novel. Right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's a good relationship. And Rand yeah. is an honorable man. <laughs> but the. the I think it's actually kind of a cool reveal because Tam is, is sort of this stolid farmer archetype. Yeah. And then you he pulls out the sword and Rand thinks, oh my gosh, my dad has a history. You the, know? the timing is unbelievably cheesy, but I don't know how Robert Jordan could have changed the narrative to make it less... Mm-hmm. The sword reveal? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was a direct result of all the, the, the mysterious stuff. But, sure. But, I, like, okay... Why would they go back to the farm? Like, is that really the safest place? You gotta feed the sheep. You gotta protect the farm. Yeah. It's their livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. I just, I, I just, yeah. They didn't know that they were gonna be, I mean, sorry. Well, well. Yeah. They, yeah. they didn't know that it was gonna be. They, they, they thought it was one guy. Yeah. They didn't know things were gonna turn sideways so fast. So yeah. he was thinking, well, we wanna make sure this guy doesn't loot my. Pretty much. My Which, stew and, pot. and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. My stew pot. <laughs> <laughs> you steal my darn shirts. Uh, yeah, so the, the sword, also the sword, is a samurai sword, right? It's a katana, very clearly. Well, it, which is, That yeah. looks just like Lan's, except it has a heron on it. Right, yeah, so Lan has a katana, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, that's part of this cool uh, mix, like, melting pot that he does, that Robert Jordan creates with this story. Because it is very medieval Europe, but there's these elements, like, several of the nations, like, the northern nations are very, uh, like... Feudal Japan mm-hmm. sounding like uh, yeah. Shayanar, where they end up in this story, this book, and Malkir, where Lan is from, uh, and so they they wear even the art. The guy on the book, he's wearing samurai armor. Yeah, that's totally. Uh, and so that's that's kind of an interesting thing, you know. He's got these; they carry samurai swords, 
uh, that's the that is the classiest sword in this world. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a it's a big mix, you know. And I yeah. I, I found that very very cool when I was a kid because you know samurais are cool. Those are definitely not samurai swords in the picture, though. Oh, they're not. Uh, no, they don't look like it. You're right. But but you're right. I think that they describe it as a, a single edged, slightly curved blade. Yeah. Which is probably a katana. Which is an interesting thing because he, he kind of went through all these different cultures and picked the things that he thought were cool. Yeah. And mixed them into this fantasy narrative. And yeah. I mean, it's not unlike Tolkien in a lot of ways. You know, the orcs were the were the Turks and yeah, yeah. Except that with the, in that he was assigning different races to different. Yeah. Yeah. And he does overall a better job of. Uh, not assigning negative attributes to real. It's not <laughs> as so not openly being super racist. racist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still yeah. sexist, Only, but not yeah. overly yeah, less racist. racist. Yeah. Except about the Conger Coplin thing. You know, yeah. it's like prejudice. It's like, oh yeah, prejudice is. Oh real. yeah, well, screw those people. Yeah. They're all lazy. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that roof. Yeah. So it's really convenient that Tam has got a sword and he takes it out for the first time in many years since Rand was a kid, I guess. Uh, because right when they're about to sit down to their stew and tea, uh, Trollocs attack. Trollocs. Yeah, who just like the just like super super dicks like yeah like mutants I, or something. yeah island Doctor Moreau kind of thing right except yeah. except I guess like I was I was I think on my first read I had the impression that each one was like half human half one animal but these seem to be like a blend yeah they're like, just like a mix like yeah. a like a random character generator in an RPG <laughs> <laughs> just put the randomized yeah because like the first one that comes in has curled goat horns and a muzzle like yeah. a dog I think yeah and they said that some have feathers and yeah and hooves yeah so it's just like like in a blender you know and they, they serve the same role as the orcs in Tolkien as they're sort of these grunts yeah uh, but the, I found this scene very intimidating uh, they, you know, the guy. They pound in the door, and they're like wearing black armor, and they're mm-hmm. they're extremely like scary. And they have yeah, a different kind definitely. of sword. Uh, they do. Yeah, they don't know? have samurai swords. They have like it looks some big almost like a cutlass. Yeah. Oh, you think it's like a cleaver? Uh, yeah, maybe cutlass is right. They're, they're yeah. curved because they're they're for chopping people up. Yeah, big heavy blades and anyway. Yeah, these these horrible things come in that that Rand doesn't even know what they are at this point. They're just monsters, mm-hmm. and then Tam immediately kills a couple of them because he's got a sword. Yeah, uh, and uh, tells Rand to get away, and so Rand escapes. And there's a, a bit of a uh, stealth action scene mm-hmm. uh, where Rand hides uh, in the woods. Yeah, gets out of the house and, and like crawl along the yeah to... crawls away and uh, hides in the woods, and eventually meets back up with uh, his father, mm-hmm. who sneaks up on him in the woods. Uh, his father's to, able to find him somehow. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah that's, well, I think he shouts to him, but he goes in the wrong direction. No, I don't yeah, know. yeah, he like shouts, "Father, I'm okay," because he thinks his father thinks he's still in the house, and, yeah. and his father immediately like because he's he knows exactly what to do in this situation, like points in the wrong direction deliberately to mislead the Trollocs and says, "Hide," you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then he managed to. He, then Rand goes and hides in the woods, and his father manages to escape the Trollocs by himself. Only he gets wounded. Yeah, by a trollic blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, going back to Alice's previous point, you know, it, it didn't occur to me at the time, but I think you're right. I remember he was like, "What do you call it when you're crawling on your belly and uh, and he's like hiding in the forest?" It's definitely like kind of a Vietnam sort of it's guerrilla thing. warfare. Yeah, it's guerrilla warfare kind of thing. Yeah, so. that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, yeah. like he's you know, so, yeah. so you could definitely like juxtapose this on like a, a scared soldier who's never been in war before who's like trying to get away. Because mm. the way they set up with the beginning of the book, we talk about it being bucolic, but it's not. It's not that traditional, like, nature is good and is going to protect you and everything, like, the whole time. It's very scary and foreboding, and, like, the the woods are creepy as shit, so... Yeah, a lot of the natural elements around them are not not friendly. Mm -hmm. There's the the water wood where people, like, die in the mire. There's, like, the... uh, the mist of mountains where people go in and never come back. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that, yeah. 
there are places they just don't go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for and very they head off into the woods to escape from the Trollocs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I guess Rand has to... Yeah, so Rand, uh, like, his, his father's wounded, uh, wounded worse than he thinks he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can barely get up, I think. Uh, and so Rand has to head back to the farmhouse, uh, and he takes the sword, uh, and he kind of accidentally kills a Trolloc named Narg. <laughs> and the Trolloc speaks English and talks to him, and it's yeah. kind of like... Just stay here. Don't you know? Put the sword down. It'll do, be fine. Like, mm-hmm. does he? The, like, do you get the impression that he buys this thing from Narg? Because, like, I don't know. I mean, like, you, the way it's written is a little ambiguous. Because he's kind of like, well, I can't think of anything to do, so I, I put my sword down, and then Narg tries to grab him, and he because obviously he does, right? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. He lets it down, and he says, "I'll talk," and then the Narg totally. But I don't, Narg. I don't understand why Narg even bothers with this. I mean, like, if Narg is the smart Trolloc that he claims that he is... He's, I, I believe it. Then, then he did wh- find him. Well, he why speaks is... English. Yeah. Well, you also have the Narg... The Narg... You also have Narg who brings up <laughs> this whole idea of the... Yeah. <laughs> the Trolloc named Narg who brings up the... the introduces the Mirdral. So, th- so that's what I'm getting at. So, like... It, it seemed a, to me. It seemed a little forced. Like Narg is clearly like a foreshadowing element. Like he's telling, he's providing a little bit of uh, yeah, a little bit of exposition. You think like, I'm where else scary? We, yeah, yeah. We well, because yeah, from the narrative standpoint, we got to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Because if Narg is really the smart Trolloc that he claims he is, he's not going to like start talking to this guy. He's going to like hide behind a door and just club him on the head, right? I mean, well, like he's not that smart. Why is he? Why is he bothering to engage in, in conversation? If you're like a nine foot tall like troll monster with a, a crazy sword, and you have like a farm boy. Are you gonna try and like a farm boy with a sword, right? I guess. And what, look what happened to Narg. That's a good point. Yeah. It didn't go very well for Narg. <laughs> yeah. I just think he would have had a much better uh, odd of, of taking Rand out if he had I, snuck I think up behind it's him. It's in service of having a really creepy scene. Yeah, I found the scene to be very creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, for it, sure. Because the thing, it's a monster. Like he describes it, he's got this twisted face, and the eyes are like human eyes. But he can but barely like talk because his mouth is so like misformed. Yeah, like, it's hard and, to understand and him. it's talking to him, and it's after Nargan apparently pooped up the whole house. God, yeah, I know. Like Trollocs <laughs> don't. Their shit on the yeah, wall, was that yeah. necessary? I mean, like not only did they like trash it, they like shat on everything. Yeah, they mentioned in passing that Rand was I was looking for my herbs, but it's in a pile of shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like they took all their herbs and they, they mixed them up with shit. Yeah. Yeah, Trollocs are like the biggest dicks. I mean, like, come on, that's that's just unnecessary. Like, yeah. it's one thing to kill somebody; it's one thing to like, you know, kidnap them and take them to your, you know, forsaken overlord, whatever. Your, your mirdral. Your mirdral, whatever that is. We don't know what that is. Yeah, something scary. But well, Rand knows what it is. Apparently, it's a it's a the shade, a scary thing from scary stories. Right, but it's yeah. like saying like you know you know my boogeyman or whatever, right? Yeah. But then yeah, but then they got to go like befoul so, everything yeah. with so their narg who is laying in wait pretending to be dead. Yeah. Rand comes back and starts gathering stuff, like trying to find unpooped blankets, mm-hmm. which is hard to do. Yeah. Uh, and but Narg shows up and says, "I'm, you know, put down the sword. It'll be okay. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna. All we're gonna do is talk to you. I mean, the mirror draw wants to talk to you." And Rand's like, "Oh no, a mirror draw," uh, in his head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and but then the the Narg grabs for him, and Rand skewers him with the sword accidentally. Yeah. And Narg dies because yeah. Narg is not as smart as Narg thinks Narg is. <laughs> uh, I mean, I believe that. I buy that. Yeah. And so Rand grabs the, the is like Graham grabs the, the uh, supplies he needs uh, and takes him back out to his father uh, and his father not doing well he's like unconscious and so he rigs up a sling uh, and they and starts heading through the ta- the roads to the town. Do you think that do you think that uh, the Trollocs put uh, feces on their blades because it sounds like uh, it sounds like Tam's been poisoned a little bit. Yeah, I think 
well, spoilers. Uh, uh, they're they're gonna they're gonna find that the Trolloc blades are just like that. They're just uh, poisonous. Okay. Cool. Because mm. yeah, Pantam does not seem to be that injured, but he's he's out. He's down for the count. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny though that, that even through all this, Rand is like thinking about like you know how we're gonna clean this up because you know he thinks he's gonna be coming back to his yeah farmhouse. Well, it's his only. It's a place where he lives, right? It's his yeah. only. It's it's un- the only experience with the world. Is is unfathomable to be going anywhere else. Yeah, let's see. So that's uh, that's where we are in this this progress. Let's see. Is there anything else that we want to talk about? Mm-hmm. No, I think that's about it. Yeah, I think that what I want to talk about is that the the one thing that Robert Jordan pushes through the whole series is like like the war of the sexes, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gender politics. Absolutely. And he's he's taking this this position which. I find a little regressive, but he probably thought was pretty progressive. I think it's like an old school kind of feminism, the idea that yeah. women are, you know, separate but equal, right? It's like yeah. women aren't like men, but they have yeah. their own kind of power. They're, right? they're different, but they're always but they're just as powerful in their own way. And that's yeah. that's like that theme runs through the entire book, like the plot and the the magic system and the history and everything. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like it it is And I I, I remember that I didn't remember that from when I read it earlier, but it's like right out of the gate. That's how it is. There's mm-hmm. the the, for the village council, there's the women's circle. For the mayor, there's the wisdom. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And the way, even the way that they interact with each other seems very. It seems, it seems as if each character is like, oh, that's just how. That's just how women are, you know. <laughs> like there's a little bit of that, right? It, yeah. It's like, oh, you know how women are. That's you can never understand what they mean, or that's they how women be. They always <laughs> twist your words around, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, and even Lan and Moraine, I think, are the are intended to be like a microcosm of that same thing, where Moraine is. They're both very powerful, and Lan is powerful by being big and strong and having a, a, a invisible cloak. <laughs> right, <laughs> the cloak and, that you can see his armor through. Right, because it's invisible. Because right. it always takes on the color of the thing behind it. Yeah, uh, but uh, but Moraine is like strong in a very different way, where she's very manipulative, and and people respect her because of the way she carries herself. You know. Yeah, I, I, def- I definitely found that. I don't think it bothered me when I read it a long time ago. I don't remember, but I don't think it did. But when I was reading it now, I definitely had like a little bit of like eyebrow raising, like, really? Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Is anything else anyone wants to cover? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, thanks for listening to this first episode of The Dragon Reread. Uh, we're going to try and do this on a weekly basis. We're going to see how that works. Next time, we're going to be talking about chapters 6 through 10, probably. Mm-hmm. Probably. Possibly. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, my name is Jeff Lake. I'm Micah Sparkman. I'm Alice Sullivan. Thank you.